0: Conservative or otherwise, you get to hear your point of view. We are an independent media outlet that, unlike mainstream media beholden to corporations, we only owe allegiance to you. Remember, you can also send me a tweet at EGBERTOWILLIES. That is at Egberto Willies. Let us engage. It is politics done right. Welcome to Politics Done Right from the studios of KPFT 90.1 FM, Houston, your community radio station. We have a great program for you today. Go to kpft.org and sign up for tonight's meeting with Amy Goodman of Democracy Now! Today we also have Linda Olson. We're going to discuss stories. Let's get busy! Brian Katz, Democrat of Hawaii. You know what he does? He, he is teaching Democrats how they need to campaign. You wonder sometimes, why is it that Republicans somehow are higher in the generic polls, et cetera? Because nobody really knows what they've done. Nobody knows that they're holding back, uh, military assistance where necessary. Nobody knows that they're not supporting education. Nobody knows that they're not, that they are the ones that are holding back the middle class. Nobody knows that because Democrats are poor in information dispersers. Listen to this and then we'll take it on the other side.
1: Insurrection booster booster Josh Hawley has been throwing a poop in his pants temper tantrum over President Biden's national security nominees since last September in protest of our withdrawal from Afghanistan. That included delaying the confirmation of a Russia expert, even as Russia's invasion of Ukraine loomed. Well, Hawaii Senator Brian Schatz absolutely annihilated him on the Senate floor yesterday after Hawley pulled his latest stunt on another nominee this week. He is blocking the staffing of the senior leadership at the Department of Defense. And this comes from a guy who raised his fist in solidarity with the insurrectionists. And this comes from a guy who, before the Russian invasion, suggested that maybe it would be wise for Zelensky to make a few concessions about Ukraine and their willingness to join NATO. This comes from a guy who just about a month ago voted against Ukraine aid. He's saying it's going too slow. He voted no. And this final insult is that until, what, Secretary Austin resigns? That's not a serious request. That is not a reasonable request from a United States senator that until the Secretary of Defense quits his job, I'm going to block all of his nominees. That's preposterous. And coming from a person who exonerated Donald Trump for extorting Zelensky for withholding lethal aid. So spare me the new solidarity with the Ukrainians and with the free world because this man's record is exactly the opposite i yield the floor
0: is that powerful or what you know uh it it is interesting but right now if you take a look at how republicans intend or believe they're going to win 2022 it's it's mind-buffling right because if right now democrats started hammering the truth on just info infomercials like I see Republicans doing. Right now if you turn on the TV in Washington DC or if you turn on your TV elsewhere, they're talking about what Biden has done for crime, what Biden has done to create inflation, what Biden has done with all these different particular issues. And you know what you hear from Democrats for the most part? Nothing. So what they are allowing in effect is the cauterization of that message from Republicans to actually get into the psyche of people. And after you get there, it is hard for the after believing something for three months, for four months, for six months without a comeback. If Democrats believe they're going to come in, Let's say June and July and August and start saying how wrong Republicans are. First of all, the amount of people that are going to hear that message, just hear the message, not even have to process the message, just hear the message. It's not going to be a lot because what we have right now is every day that Republicans put this message on air. Every day that they send out a whole lot of emails, every day that they send out Twitter Twitter messages, that they send out Instagrams, that they send out TikToks, that they send out uh, Facebook memes, every day that goes out consistently. They have people from all over the world that are there misinforming over and over again. And from Democrats, yeah, you have independent media like what we do. We try to create a whole lot of videos. We try to create a lot of memes. We try to create uh, uh, radio programs. We write. We we do that, but we don't have the mass the mass cash that let's say the DNC, the SSCC, and the DSCC the DSSSC has. We don't have that. So what do we do? We we have first of all. This is what I've started telling those who follow what we do. This is what I've been talking to on Medium, Substack, uh, Twitter, Tumblr. uh, (laughs) I know you laugh when you heard Tumblr, Uh, uh, Facebook, Instagram. It's one thing. We want to elect progressives. If we want to do that, people, here's what we have to do. We cannot depend on the consultants that Democrats depend on. I've given you a, a, examples of being in, uh, being in different organizations, nonprofit organizations, where we've hired consultants and paid them ten thousand dollars, sixteen thousand dollars for consultation. And <laughs> after doing that, I remember telling one of our board members, "Shoot, I would have taken." to give you that advice. Hell, I give you that advice for free. You just don't listen to it. But I, you know, what I'm saying is the following. There, there, there is some madness here. And you wonder how many in the democratic, uh, intelligentsia, how much of it is just, uh, doing whatever it is to make a dollar as opposed to support what we know the people need support, 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 make sure that the right people get elected. Sometimes I even think that because Democrats as a whole are getting more progressive, that our you know, middle-of-the-line Democrats are willing to take a few losses to maintain that status quo, to overbalance on the right, to take care of all the good things that we really want, and we have shown a lot of people want on the left. So we have all those that are misinforming. You wonder sometimes, right? So um, the first, the first marching order here is: we must be a part. Those of you who are Democrats and want progressives to win, yes, you have to work as a part institutionalized within the Democratic Party. But it's not enough. You have to go out there and be. You know, for those of you who are are Christians or Bible readers, I remember that when, at the time that I was a Christian, I'm a humanist now, you heard that thing that said, be fishers of men. In those days, that's how they said, I mean, be fishers of people, right? We have to go out there and not individually tell the message, but also teach folks how they themselves must multiply to tell the message and get away from the minutia that we have coming. You know, recently I, I subscribed to uh, uh, the Hartman report, the Substack that Tom Hartman has. And you know, he does a lot of research. He's a well-read man. He has a show, the Hartman, uh, the, the Hartman show, the Tom Hartman show that I, I watch whenever I get a chance. And you guys have seen me bring Tom Hartman on several times. Well, Tom Hartman put out a, a, a piece recently that I want to expand on with this dialogue that I'm having here with you. I want to show you that on, on the screen real quick. Tom Hartman came out with a piece, and he titled the piece, um, let me get to the title, Why Blue State's Living Makes You Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise. And then his subtitle was If You Want to Carry a Gun in Public, earn crap wages, and don't care about access to healthcare or your kid's education, move to a red state. But get ready because all they have left is hate and fear. And you see, hate and fear is powerful, right? Hate and fear is very powerful because it works on that animal part of your brain. And in working on that animal part of your brain, you react. You don't think first, you react. And that is what we have to get around as progressives. We have to go out there with a message that doesn't only give the mathematics, the arithmetic, the economics, the economic rules, the economic laws of the things we support. We just have to talk to people on that bread and butter level. And if we do that, we reach. People always say, um, uh, "We speak to your mind." Republicans speak to your heart. I say, "Republicans speak to your hate." Let's not mistake your heart with your hate. It's very important that you don't see that. But in that light, Tom Hartman brought out several topics. Right. So here's what I want to do. I want to start. I want to start with Tom Hartman's piece, which is a great piece. Check it out. I have it indexed in the blog for the show. But Tom Hartman uh, talked about in in there about the crime rate. We know what they did to uh, Ketanji Brown Jackson at the Supreme Court. They made her seem like in as much as her rulings were right in line with all the other Supreme Court judges, they made it look like she was loose on crime. She was weak on crime. She didn't punish crime appropriately as if punishing crime in all phases makes sense, right? You know, smoking a bat. Smoking a marijuana should should warrant a large prison sentence, right? And throw the book at them. And and if a kid happens to go to a website and there is pictures of naked girls and you don't necessarily know these girls are under age or whatever, but they are and you just kind of like A kid's curiosity, keep looking at it and somehow your computer gets confiscated and those pictures are on. Oh my God, what happens then? Oh, you see, you see those, you you see what turns out to be, uh, oh my God, naked pictures on this kid's computer. He's a pedophile. No, he's not a pedophile. He's, he's doing what m- millions of young men do, right? Uh, when they're curious, they're not trying to go ahead and pick up some little girl and do something with. They're just curious, right? They're seeing this thing and the moral, the, the, the moral right comes and they attack and them to t- 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 no order. They just attack, right? But they have kids, and I bet if their kids did something of that sort, they wouldn't want the book thrown at them but saying, Hey, that is not healthy for your mind, or 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 that that sort of a thing, right? But that is one of the issues. Oh, whether you have 10 pictures versus a thousand pictures. You know, a kid can go to a page that has porn on it and a thousand pictures appear in his in his cache. For those of us who understand how, understand how the how browsers work, we know that when browsers go to a page, it pulls down everything from that page, throws it into a folder, and you can do a search on your computer's cache and see all those naked pictures, whether you viewed it or not. Right? But they don't tell you that, right? It just sounds sensational. This kid had this many thousand pictures of underage kids. It could be that he didn't even go to an underage page, but because that page indexed something else, a lot of that got thrown on his computer and he doesn't know. It's just in the cache, in a storage area and a computer. There are a lot of these things nobody tells you, right? So Democrats are weak in crime and 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 she goes ahead and she puts out, she does, she, she uses her sense to understand, I'm not gonna destroy a 17 or 18 year old kid's life. Because one, of curiosity, and because two, technology. I'm not going to do that. And most judges on the circuit court, that's what they believe as well, and that's how they rule, and they made it look like she did that and that all progressives are weak on crime. Well, you know what is good for them to know? It's good for them to know that let's use their metrics let's use republican metrics on republicans let's go to red states you know what the red state the here here's here's the article from uh the third way not some progressive site just a site looking at the numbers right The rate of murders in the U.S. has gone up at an alarming rate, but despite a media narrative to the contrary, this is a problem that affects Republicans-run cities and states as much or more than Democratic bastions. In 2020, per capita murder rates were 40% higher in states won by Donald Trump than those won by Joe Biden. Eight of the 10 states with the highest murder rates in 2020 for the Republican presidential nominee in every election this century. Again, again, it is important for that message to sink in. And you can read that piece uh, that's linked from Tom's report as well. But again, eight out of 10 states with the highest murder rates in 2020 voted for the Republican presidential nominee in Every election this century. All right. So if we follow Republican methodology, we could easily say that Republican states are a clear and present danger to your survival. Republican states have higher murder rates. And because they have higher murder rates, it means that the policies that they institute... Our policies of failure right so here we have Republicans hitting Democrats on the crime rate the crime wave as they put it even though it's nowhere close to what it was in the 70s but they put it, they want to throw crime on Democrats you don't see a big huge pushback from Democrats that come out and say wait a minute wait a minute The states with the highest crime rates are Republican states. The states with the most murders are Republican states. And you know, we can draw some inferences to that. You guys have very loose gun laws, and we've been trying to have better gun laws to protect our citizens. In our blue states, we protect our citizens. They don't die as much from murder. In fact, 40% less they die than in red states. Why don't we see every time In every market where you see a commercial blaming Democrats and progressives on crime, we should have an immediate and a fast response that says crime rates in red states are 40% higher than in blue states. What did your governor do for you lately? What did your, what did your, did your red uh, uh, congressional state or your red Uh, what is it the representatives do for you lately? What did your congressional delegation do for you lately? Why don't we fight back with I mean, it's a facts, right? But remember what we say, Republicans talk to your heart. We talk to the mind. What about if we decided to talk to the heart and the mind? How do we talk to the heart on murder? If you live in a red state, under red control, and you don't start electing progressives, you are going to die. A lot of your relatives are going to die because the policies that we they promote are policies that kill. If you go to a blue state, much better because you have a less likelihood of being killed. They may bring up Baltimore. They may bring up other places. All you have to do is go into the rural areas. You see what they don't tell you, right? They, they like to count the murder rates in big cities. But if you have a city of 10,000, you come, Texas, and find out that 10 people got shot because of easy gun laws and they go to their, their, their rinky-dinky bar and they shoot up each other. It doesn't make a lot of national news because guess where it's in rural areas and all the cosmopolitan reporters and and even the Republicans themselves, they don't live in those rural areas. They just use those people in the rural areas as they're closed, their hospitals and all of it. They don't care about those people in rural areas. They just care about their vote and what we have to show to these people. And we need to go into the rural areas as well and show, hey, that hospitals that being closed is not because of the other, it's the other people. But anyway, let's continue with how Democrats and progressives should be out there telling the truth, right? What what else is quite easy, you know? Getting diseases, you know. They like to bring up the morality of states, right? Guess where you find chlamydia and all these different diseases. Let's go for the the the, the, the five highest, huh? Alaska, Louisiana. Mississippi, South Carolina. And you want to know the states with the lowest infections? Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine, Utah. So again, bad for your health. But here's the thing. Let's say you get chlamydia accidentally. You get something accidentally. Guess what about those red states as well? Guess what? Those red states don't give you health care, right? They don't give you health care. Because, again, they don't want the Medicaid expansion to the Affordable Care Act because it is bad for you. Of course it's not. What I'm trying to tell you is, Democrats, you wonder, why is it that they fail to fight the true fight? When it comes to fiscal responsibility, right? We always talk about personal responsibility, you know? that whatever happened to that, right? Personal responsibility. Well, it turns out that even in that case, red states, you know, they're beggar states they they are so fiscally irresponsible. You know, a lot of people in blue states eventually move to red states and you have the red state people saying, well, if those blue states are so great, why are all those people from California moving to Texas and, and, and why are they moving to Florida and these red states, right? Because these blue states people are being fiscally responsible. They earn their monies in the blue states where things they have education, healthcare and all of that. And when they've amassed their capital, they have mobility and they move to the blues, to the red states, which don't tax them anything. So in effect, they've made a good fiscal judgment. But for those people who reside in those states, the price of low taxes means closed hospitals, mean poor education, means poor health care means poor environment mean all these things that makes your make your lives much more difficult all these things that tear across the fabric of humanity so what do you do then it is time to construct the entire narrative and how do you construct that narrative You know, if you go into downtown Houston, downtown Dallas, and all these great places, it's beautiful. All the wealthy, upper-middle-class people, the rich people, have these beautiful subdivisions. And a lot of these subdivisions are outside the purview of these big cities. But the big cities support the, the ability to have those beautiful suburbs on the outside. And then you have the rural parts of the exurbs and all of that, that progressively gets poorer. They have to fight their way into the suburbs for work or into the cities for work. Their commute times are longer. Uh, their healthcare is substandard. The hospitals at the far reaches of these exurbs and into the rural areas are disappearing because they cannot afford to support a smaller, more sparse population. So we have to show in places like Texas, where, you know, the person driving in from the rural areas come into the city and see beauty, see wealth. Then they drive back home to a closing hospitals and they say, the reason why my hospital is closing is because those folks living in the city are taking everything from us. We And then the the Republicans who are the ones who are instituting the policies that allow that, right? They're out they're telling the rural folks, hey, you see what's happening in the city? So you have to create the story. You have to point out to these people, we want to build your hospital, but your Congress people don't want to charge all those wealthy people coming in from blue states and taking advantage of low taxes that hurt you, that make sure your hospital closes. That is the reason why Republicans are doing that to you. And when it comes to abortion, you know, the healthcare that you need to teach your kids not to go out there and do those bad things that the church is failing at, but you can't say the church is failing at, even though the church is failing at. You can't tell them that, but you do, right? So it is imperative as you go over and over again to start telling these stories because if we tell, you know, Obama got, uh, people started to tease Obama about telling the story. What story are you going to tell that we have 8.5% inflation? Uh, that we have a supply chain problem? Obama, I don't know if he responded to that, but I would like to respond to that. yeah. I would like to tell the story about the 8.5% re- uh, inflation as the failure of Republicans' support of pol- policies within the private sector, the corporate structure. I would like Republicans are always, and, and neoliberal Democrats, of course, are always given uh, 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 carte blanche to corporations. I want to let them know that inflation isn't uh, something that uh, happened out of the blue. Inflation is not there because things cost more at the back end. Inflation is there because corporations have price and power and our economic system allows them to exist and screw you and use as an excuse a war, a pandemic, and a supply chain problem, all of which they created. But Egberto, didn't create the pandemic. Yes, they did. When Donald Trump was screwing up and lying to the American people, the corporate structure could have stepped in. They knew what was going on. They could have, they could have stepped in. They didn't. They went along with the lies. So please... I would love I would love to be the one arguing about inflation. I would love to be the one arguing about uh, supply chain. I've written about all of these. Inflation is not real. The shortages are not real. People are still spending and they still get the products that they want, which means the products are there. And guess what? Look at the bottom line of the corporations. Look at their profit margins and see how it has skyrocketed. If the products weren't there and inflation was just there because of a shortage, the spike that you have in profits would not be there because it would mean higher prices, less products, which means just about the same profit Okay, or, or or same amount of money, not profit. The profit still would be larger, assuming that that wasn't uh, money is coming in from the bottom of the chain all the way in price increases. So let's be clear here. Let's be very clear. Inflation. Don't listen to CNBC, MSNBC, or any one of these guys that makes it look like these are just market forces. These are pricing power forces. I have a monopoly. I can price and I will price to whatever I want to price. And that is a definition of today's inflation. If we want to pump more oil, we can. If we want to bring more oil online, Venezuela is sitting on the largest ocean of oil. But because they have a society that won't allow corporations to just take that oil and, and have it for the benefit of the few, the way it works in America, all oil on public lands in America, guess what? Should be all of ours, which means the profits after costs should go to not only the investors, but also to the American people because it's our oil. But nope, in America, the corporation gets it all. And they pay menial taxes on that. So we need to put that as your birthright is being stolen by corporations and sanctioned by Republicans, the people that are asking for your vote. Give us your vote, and we will make sure you have your school, your health care, your church, everything else you got. And we need to do that. We do that. It is carte blanche, it is victory. Folks, it is important that we understand these concepts until we learn to tell the message. And let me tell you, I'm no fool and you are no fool. If you think the rank and file democratic leadership doesn't know this, you'd be fooling yourself and you'd have to ask yourself if they even deserve to be governing. If they don't know what I've just said, they do. The problem is they're fighting two battles Corporations are the evil, the evil entities in our society. They are the ones that do whatever is necessary to justify profits for, uh, parasites that just buy stocks and sit at their pool and do nothing. You know, whenever I hear that word, uh, we have our, 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 I don't, I don't work. My money works for me. That is a definition of abstracted Slavery, because if your money works for you, it means you are sitting at your pool sipping tea, while the profits that you make on your money comes from somebody else that is working on your behalf, and you are taking a big cut of what that other person is working for. And no, it doesn't. It's not how you are taught. It's enough, it, we've taught not to think like that. Capitalism has taught us to be selfish and at the same time being selfish, thinking that we're being honorable. You're not. We are not. And I am saying we too, because yes, I probably have some sort of little bit of investment or whatever, who knows, in, in some, some, something, right? So we have to understand these concepts, people. We have to understand these concepts. And when we do, when we do, then things will change. When we go out there and tell the message and do not depend on the democratic, the leadership of the democratic party and all their ancillary and institutions to do the job, you are going to have to do the job one person at a time, five persons at a time, but not only one and five, ten for persons at a time, but you have to teach them how to do exactly what you are doing as well. Are you ready for a KPFT special event? I hope you are, because guess what? We're having an evening with Amy Goodman of Democracy Now. Amy Goodman is an American journalist, columnist, and author, best known as the co-founder and host of that show we all love, Democracy Now. The War and Peace Report. She's a liberal progressive daily. It's a liberal progressive daily news program produced in New York City. It is a syndicated. It's in. It's syndicated on the radio and television in the United States and broadcast on the internet. So on Thursday, April fourteenth, twenty twenty-two. Oh, between seven and eight thirty, she's going to have an evening with her, and participating will be Stephanie Wells, who is the Pacifica Executive Director, as well as Dr. Robert Franklin, who is our KPFT General Manager. So please sign up, register on the Zoom ID eight five zero. Four zero one five one zero three six, Or just go to kpft.org to get more information and click on that link to register. Today, we have the honor of being with Linda Olson. She is the go to story expert who helps authors, speakers, and entrepreneurs impact millions with their stories. She is a TEDx speaker multiple best-selling author and founder of Wealth Through Stories. Her mission is to impact a million people a year with multiple authors in her series, Story Matters. Welcome to Politics and Right. Linda, how are you doing today?
2: Oh, I'm doing great, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity to share with your audience.
0: Well, you know, we are a, we are a political audience that love people, love stories, love everything and when i when i saw what you were putting out there from from your, your set, i said you know what i want especially in these times mm-hmm. to have you on because from the stories that you tell in your in, in your new book to the stories that people are going through all over america and beyond right now this is what we need so tell us a little bit about yourself first of all
2: well, uh, as you've shared, I'm all about story, and really, it's about helping people to create and tell their stories to impact lives. You're absolutely right. you know everybody's story has changed even in this last year or two, one way or another, and if we can learn to to learn from those stories and be able to share with others, so that others can benefit and receive hope, it makes all the difference.
0: Now, you know, I am all about stories. Um, uh, You know, in in my politics, I use stories to communicate to others. It, It doesn't matter what your ideology is, because what we find out is stories are interconnected. And once we realize that stories are interconnected, in fact, we make a better place. We 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 address each other as humans. Why don't you expand a bit on that?
2: Oh, absolutely, because it's stories is how we connect with one another. We actually think in stories, and so it is also how we remember more than any other time. It's if we hear a story, we're associating this story with this person, and it's more likely that we will remember because it's how we think. You know, research tells us that we remember only 7% of what we hear, 23% of what we see, and 70% of what we experience. And I believe experience. Story is all about experience.
0: I mean, you're absolutely right. When you tell, I mean, if you, all the things I remember from my youth are the things where I can give a complete narrative about. And that's one of the reasons I say in several of the books I've I've written myself is that stories really, as you say, in your stories really matter. Now you wrote a, a book, Story Matters, Empowering Your Hope When Going Through Tough Times. And believe it or not, before I saw your name, before I saw the narrative of the, uh, of, you know, of who you were, etc., just the name of that got to me. And it said, like, mm. ah, I think I want that.
2: Well, thank you. That's uh, that's encouraging to hear. And, you know, especially like you say, at the time that we're living in right now, we all need that hope to be able to go forward. It doesn't matter what our circumstances are, what kind of loss we face. We all need that hope to be able to move forward and know that our story counts. We don't have to stay stuck in our story. We can learn from our story and keep moving forward so that it can strengthen us to keep moving forward.
0: Now, uh, you have several stories in your book. Why don't you tell us a little bit I mean, we want people to make sure and have a reason to go out and get it. And, and, and not only that, but see themselves in a little piece of everything that you've seen in, in several stories and the stories that you want to bring on from beyond.
2: Well, there's actually seven stories in the book, and let me see if I can just do an excerpt of a couple of them. One was a a lady who um, within, uh, I believe it was weeks or maybe the first few months, realized that uh, something was not right with her newborn. And it turned out that she had the, the baby had the infant had four tumors on her brain. But the doctors gave her all complete hope. They said, we need to do surgery because those tumors will grow. But once we do surgery, everything will be fine. They won't continue to grow. Well, that they did have surgery, but unfortunately, the growth continued. And it turned out that this young gal grew and um, uh, remained alive until just two weeks prior to her 15th birthday. But she was an amazing young girl. She said, I never want to feel like I'm not like everybody else. And even though she was in a wheelchair and needed a lot of help, she would be on that hospital ward cheering everybody up, laughing at the doctors, laughing at this was home to her. And she believed that she was going to be able to live to tell her story. And she had tremendous amount of faith. And even though um, she isn't here to tell her story. Her mother is now writing her, writing the book of the two of them It's and, and is sharing her story. Well, so I mean, that's, yes, go ahead.
0: Interestingly, what I was about to say is, I think something you said at the tail end, she did live to tell her story. She lived her story and her yep. mother is telling her story, right?
2: Yep, that's right. Because she's passing on her legacy. You know, a, another young lady, had uh, after going through a difficult background, very difficult, abusive background. And one day just went to her doctor for a regular appointment. And the doctor said, I do not have good news. You have stage four cancer and there's nothing we can do that will help you along. And at that point, you know, she thought, why go on living? And she said, I was faced with the hardest question I've ever been faced with. And that is, do I live or do I die? And realized she had three children, even though they were grown, they still need her. And now that is, and the doctor gave her one to five years. She is now in her second year, written her first book Uh, Working on her second and working on an entire children's series and doing all the artwork. I had no idea she was an artist. She said, I'm living life fuller now than I ever have.
0: Now, how is she doing medically? That's just out of curiosity.
2: You know what is amazing. I mean, she doesn't have a lot of, you know, the same kind of energy that maybe you and I have, but she's at at home and uh, loves her artwork, loves her writing and, you know, and and really is doing quite well medically. Interestingly,
0: yes. out of her story, there's much to get right. And, and And you always think that you have it bad. And the thing about it is when she says she chose to live. I mean, uh, if, if all of us if, if all of us thought that way with all the tribulations that we're going through right now, it's like they're just tribulations. Let's find a way to I mean, if, if it's not hurting you, if they're, if they're not shooting you, if they're not doing something to you, why not just live?
2: Absolutely. And the thing is, to me, the thing that stood out the biggest is that this is a choice and we face that choice every day whether we're going to make the most of it and live life to the fullest or whether we're just going to let the day go by. It's always a choice. And I
0: think that is such an important thing to, uh, especially, in look, like I said, you're on a political show, Linda, but especially in uh, being on a, in, in our domain, right? Uh, whoever wins, loses or whatever, a lot of folks always tend to go into a funk or whatever. And it's like, you know, what I, what I try to put out to my folks is, what is different from day one to day two? Generally not much. So why would you make externalities make such a difference between day one and day two? It's a mindset that you have to get to. And I think stories, as you mentioned about printing and publishing stories and listening to people's stories and having people's stories out there, that is one thing that, that, that lends itself towards. In other words, Hey, Live your life. Tell me a little bit more about some other stories.
2: Well, I think about another lady who actually grew up in in China and particularly there uh, having boys is extremely important. And her parents believed so strongly they were going to have a son. And then when it turned out that she was a daughter, it was like they didn't know what to do with her. And so they still treated her like a son. And she grew up like she was a boy, unlike her sister. And, um, you know, she went through college this way. She got a career. She never was trained within the home like the other girls were. And um, she said it took 40 years as she struggled with her identity to know that she was a woman and truly embrace that she was a woman. And unfortunately, it cost her three marriages. She is now in her fourth marriage, but uh, things are much, much different. Uh, Has two uh, beautiful sons and uh, a wonderful family and is doing well today. But you know, it's amazing um, how we can struggle with our identity when things are good But when when we deal with these kind of things, we just we can't even imagine how some people struggle with that kind of thing. But through her faith, uh, she she found the answers. And like I said, is doing well today. When we talk
0: about intersectionality of stories, I mean, that is something that gives gives one, I think, should give everybody hope, because what we actually see is a commonality among folk. And when you see that commonality, you know that, you know. I'm going through what I think is some some stuff stuff, but really everybody has their own uh, their own their own crosses to bear.
2: Mm -hmm. Yes, they do. And, you know, so often I have so many people say to me, well, I don't have a big story like you or like some of these people. But the thing is, we all have a story. And to me, it's not about the size of the trauma or the story. It's about what we learn from it that's what's big. It can be it can be a little incident. And but what we learn from it uh, is can make all the difference. And so to me, that's where the big story comes in.
0: Uh, you couldn't be more right. You know, on politics done right. We have a, what we call our politics done right posse. And the, the amount we have people from the left, from the right, from I don't know where, from just about everybody participating in this group. And I tell you, listening to every single person, the dynamic listening, I've even, you know, uh, being the independent type media that we are, uh, I've even, if somebody is close to me in town, gone and had coffee with somebody that's completely diametrically opposed to me and sit down and have those conversations, those stories told and some of these folks would be surprised. Wow, we can sit down and exchange stories. We thought we were nothing alike. And it turned out that these stories presented so much that, uh, again, b- but that is what I preach. Uh, hum- uh, people have to create friction among humans for humans to not be together because we are a social being. Your thoughts yes, on that? Yes, sure.
2: Yes, we are. That's we are created to connect with one another, to be social beings. That's why these last two years have been so difficult for so many people because we've been isolated when we are created to get to know, to be with others. And, you know, uh, it was so well said, you know, we can go out for coffee, somebody who you think you have nothing in common, if you're willing to share your story people will connect. Their circumstances may be very different than yours, but we all connect through pain, through conflict, and, uh, and through our problems. And somehow, as we connect, we can begin listening and appreciating one another. I love that Tell me
0: a little bit about your TED Talk.
2: Oh, my TED talk. Um, my TED talk is actually my personal story. And that goes way back to when I was only 14 years of age and through a tractor accident, my precious little two-year-old brother was killed.
0: Mm.
2: I was the one driving the tractor. Oh. And even though I was only 14, you know, on the farm, we all drive these, these implements early and um It was my first month of high school, and that was a major adjustment. And as you can imagine, I not only crushed my little brother, uh, my parents, my siblings, my life was crushed. And, you know, it's like, how do you go forward? How do you step forward? But I'll tell you what, the more I think about it, it's not different than any other big crisis We have to literally just put one foot in front of the other and go day by day and step forward and face the fear, face the pain the best we can to embrace it so that we can move on. And that was, um, even though I feel like I've lived a very fulfilled life, it it was a 45-year journey to complete healing. And that complete healing was a miraculous healing when it came. But I knew then it was then that I, I embraced, was given and embraced my new mission. And that was to impact a million people a year through story.
0: Now, how are you going to reach a million people a year? That is, that is a, that is a monumental task. (laughs)
2: <laughs> it It is. And when I received that, I thought, oh, my goodness, I have no idea how this is going to happen. And that was uh, just over six years ago. Uh, let's see, three years ago, uh, uh, I, um, I relaunched my three bestsellers and I decided to um, work with a publicist and um, do a lot of podcasts and radio and television and so forth. And by the end of the year, when I finally stopped to take a breath, (laughs) I, uh, you know, I looked at this and I thought, this is amazing. I mean, many of these different podcasters had over a million viewers themselves. Of course, you never really know how many you're impacting, Mm -hmm. but you know, there was incredible opportunities. I had three, big television programs. One of them, I I had received um, a letter from four people in the office and I thought this must be a pretty big office because they don't know about one another. Mm -hmm. And so I asked one of them, I said, can you just kind of give me an idea about how big your reach is? And she says, hang on a second. She ran, asked the producer, came back. She says, yes, we have 65 million and we just added a million. And I thought, I wish I'd asked that question after I had talked instead. Because now
0: you're like, "Oh my god, look at yeah, the impact." Now
2: I was nervous. <laughs> but there were several opportunities another another television show that live streams to 161 countries. And you know, when I put all this together, I realized and I always knew this wasn't just about taking my story out to reach millions. This is about helping others to take their story out. So as um, at last year, when I stepped out to um, do this a- anthology with seven authors, um, I'm now doing the podcast. I believe that's how we've connected mm-hmm. and television and radio and so forth. And, and um, you know, I've been doing it for several months and it's just been so exciting to see the doors that will open Um, things that will happen and people who you least expect. I'll tell you a short story. I was speaking with somebody who basically works with drug addicts and alcoholics. And uh, anyway, (laughs) the questions he asked, he was just kind of all over the place. And I thought, I don't even know if I've connected at all. But the next day I sent an email, thanked him for the opportunity to speak to his audience. And I said, I I hope this was helpful. He said it was very helpful. You were great. He says the person pushing the buttons, he was so caught up in your story. He forgot to send us to commercial. (laughs) 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 I thought you'd never know who you're reaching.
0: (laughs) Actually, you know, that that is actually so very true. And that is why when you have a platform, you have to be very responsible with that platform because you don't really realize how many people, on. no matter how small, I'm a small platform, but the amount of folks that have been impacted far uh, exceeds what one would believe. And, uh, and it's amazing if you see some of the emails, letters, and even sometimes they hunt you down uh, what, what what you actually um. What you what what you actually get. But look, I love I love what you do. I love uh, stories. You know, um, my daughter herself is a I'm a writer. My daughter is a writer. She's had she's uh, she just finished medical school working on her boards. But in the process, she's had two strokes.
2: Oh, no.
0: And I'm telling you, uh, she has completed. She she went through her third year with a stroke, fulfilled her third year with a stroke. She got another stroke at the, uh, at the middle of fourth year. So had to postpone a bit. She finished her fourth year in January. Wow. With, with half of her, wow. with half of her body stroked out. And now she's wow. on her boards. So I, you know, I mean, I, you know, I don't, I, I always like her to know how proud that, that I am of her and so forth. Of course. But she, she has been writing her story, her tribulations and so forth, one chapter at a time. And she's been putting out there one chapter at a time. So I know stories connect because she has connected with so many people with her story. And, you know, and, and you're yeah. you with with you putting these. I mean, I just think it's a good thing for the country. And I hope more people get involved in it. More more stories. Let's fight in.
2: Yes, I believe everybody has a transformational story. It's not just any story. It's a transformational story. Sometimes we just need to learn the skill of how to tell it, but Mm -hmm. it's there. So thanks for sharing that story. That is powerful.
0: Let me tell you, I always, the last question is always a very simple one. Tell me where I have erred. What should I have asked you that I didn't?
2: Why does your story matter?
0: Why does your story matter?
2: I believe my story matters because I'm not here about me. I'm here for the people around me. And if in some way I can help, I can serve them through story and give them hope, that's what I'm all about. And that's what I believe everybody has the opportunity to share.
0: Linda Olson is the go-to story expert. Author of Story Matters, Empowering Your Hope When Going Through Tough Times. Thank you so kindly for having been on Politics Done Right.
2: Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for the opportunity.
0: You can listen. And/or watch Politics Done Right Mondays through Fridays on Facebook Live at Facebook.com/slash Politics Done Right or on YouTube Live at PoliticsDoneRight.com/slash YouTube. Please do not forget to follow me on Twitter for updates. My Twitter handle is at Egberto Willies, at EGBERTOWILL. IES. But don't you forget, listen to us live on air at KPFT 90.1 FM on Thursdays at noon and at Fridays at 11 a.m. All Central Time. Please get one of my several. Get any two of those books for $200, any three of those books for $250. The contributions for my books go directly to support our station, KPFT 90.1 FM. Alternatively, folks, please get your basic KPFT only membership for $40, a Pacifica only membership for $25, or choose from one of our many other gifts for your contribution. Just go to kpft.org, choose Politics done right for the program and select an option either for our books or something else to support the station. It is definitely worth it. Please remember to keep your community radio station in your minds. Keep KPFT To you. Remember, you can also send me a tweet at EGBERTOWILLIES.
1: That is at Egberto Willies. Let us engage.